Hi, my name is Nikki, and welcome to Quick Picks, a reader's advisory podcast for all kinds of media available at the library. If you want suggestions on what to try next, we're here to help. For the 4th of July, I decided to tackle a difficult idea. What does it mean to be American? It's a lot more than baseball, apple pies, and Purple Mountain Majesty. With our primary having just occurred in Illinois, Independence Day, and some strong feelings about the SCOTUS right now, it seemed a great time to celebrate the American ideals, which we have achieved and are still trying to achieve. I have a few recommendations in a bunch of different categories in case you want to celebrate or be reminded of what being American is all about. First of all, I'm going to highlight the indigenous voices who are finally getting opportunities to tell their truths and stories to the world because, well, dibs, they were here first. If nonfiction is your cup of tea, try Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, which I know I've mentioned before, but it deserves another mention. It's 1920s, the Osage Nation, and how they got rich on oil and then they started getting murdered. The brand spanking new FBI, undercover work and conspiracies, and solving the murders of 24 Osage people. It's outrageous and heartbreaking and an interesting start that turned into a very contentious relationship between indigenous people and the feds. It's a powerful book. There There by Tommy Orange is a book that had a lot of buzz and won a lot of awards since it was first published in 2018. This is a modern story of urban native peoples, specifically 12 seemingly unconnected people who will converge at the Oakland powwow. This is their history and their perspectives, their stories, and it's painfully relatable. As an aside, I do want to mention that one of the most uplifting, amazing, spiritual, and patriotic things that I've ever experienced was a powwow. I've been to a few, they're all equally beautiful. They celebrate their lives, their ancestors, their families, their country, and there's always a moving tribute to their warriors, those who served in the American military. It's joyous and stirring, and I highly recommend it as both an American and as a patriot. Louise Erdrich is a celebrated native author, and I've read a few of her books and have loved them. Round House is older, from 2012, and a coming-of-age story about a teenage Ojibwe boy whose mother is raped and how it breaks down his family. I think this book might be better consumed as an audiobook because it lacks sentence structure and many people got frustrated trying to follow while reading, but the audiobook is great. The sentence is wholly different but also tremendous, and when I finished it, I couldn't decide what definition of sentence fit the book with the title, and the truth was all of them. Injustice, ghosts, a blended family, a pandemic, a faithful dog, social unrest, the burning of a community, 
and making peace with your history from the point of view of an indigenous Minnesotan woman who passed her time in prison by reading and now works in a bookstore trying to solve the mystery of a ghost who's haunting it. Lastly, I know I've talked about Flight by Sherman Alexie before, but it's a rare five-star book for me about a boy who is about to do something awful, feeling sorry for himself, and poof, he's transported in time and body to someone else in history, Quantum Leap style. This happens over and over, and he's a young man on the battlefield in the wake of the Battle of Little Bighorn, or an FBI agent chasing native men on a reservation, or something else, either white or indigenous, living their life for just long enough to get a lesson, and then poof, into another one. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I wish more people knew about it. Alexi's famous for his YA books about reservation life, but this is an adult book with all of the emotions. There are so many more that I could have chosen, but I had to limit it to a sampling. Moving on to other historic nonfiction books. I just watched Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu and I had to read the John Krakauer book that it was based on. And let me tell you what you already know and have heard a million times before, the book is way better. I love Krakauer books and I didn't know what to expect when I realized he wrote about the history of Mormon religion and the culmination of fundamentalism through the ages that led to the Lafferty brothers and their heinous murder of their sister-in-law and her toddler. If you're Mormon or sensitive about the subject, skip it. But it is a fascinating delve into American history and the evolution of a distinctly American religion, written by someone who self-identifies as an atheist or agnostic. Now take that as you may. To me, a non-believer is less likely to be swayed by emotion or dogma, and like all books about any country's history, it's brutal. There is, of course, the caveat, not all Mormons are like that, and it's true. This book focuses on the fringe, on the polygamous, on the ones who take their orders directly from God, even if it means killing your brother's wife. What the series did really well was show you the psychotic break that happened, specifically to Ron Lafferty, probably exacerbated by Dan Lafferty, and the toll that it took. Krakauer likes to slowly lay out all the gunpowder around you, and when your dread peaks, he blows it all up. We have plenty of our own homegrown extremists calling themselves patriots right here, and this book tells you about a bunch of them. Who among us isn't fascinated with the Salem witch trials? If you want a great book about the insanity and the injustice done in a small colonial town, the fakers and the weasels and the nutty teenage girls and the powerful people who propelled the madness, read The Witches by Stacey Schiff. It's a short event that took place in 1692 and it's still shocking and horrifying Americans to this day. Five Days at Memorial by Sherry Fink was written in 2005 about what happened in a Louisiana hospital after Hurricane Katrina when the elements collided and cut them off from the world and how they coped. It's a disaster story of resilience and the awful choices healthcare providers have to make in bleak situations with no knowledge of when help will arrive and how they have to ration healthcare. It was so disturbing. And I thought it was a very rare situation for a hospital to be in until COVID hit. And all throughout this pandemic, I've thought about this book 
and about those providers and the patients whose lives were on the line and how scary it is to be on either side. When we think of pride in our country, so many of the books that come to mind are about various wars. So I have a few to talk about if you want our servicemen and women to be your patriotic representatives. 1776 by David McCullough is a prime example of a book that will make you stir and swoon for the sacrifices made and the conditions in which our colonial army fought for freedom the year the Declaration of Independence was signed. It's not just a tribute to George Washington, it's a tribute to the troops, to the farmers and merchants and blacksmiths and carpenters who had not nearly enough training, food, supplies, ammo, or even clothing, but would not give in. Granted, there was a lot of drinking, which is understandable since those who didn't die of typhoid had to fight in the snow, sometimes barefoot, with a limited number of rounds to fire. At one point when I was reading this, my boyfriend checked in on me to see how the book was going, and I said, it's intense, they're dying and losing. And he laughed at me and said, I think we win in the end though. And I needed to remind myself of this because it was, I was so invested and enthralled in the story that I dug into knowing full well how it was going to turn out, but getting so lost in it nonetheless. High recommendation if you want to feel that swelling pride of American history. Another fabulous book about a different war is Band of Brothers by Stephen E. Ambrose. Many years ago, this book was made into an HBO series, which to me is heads above all other depictions of World War II that I've seen on screen or TV. I've read the book twice and watched the series more times than I know, and it makes me cry, it makes me proud, it makes me ache for the sacrifices made for our country, for the world, and for the future. Moving along to another war, there are two books that change me to the core when I think about wars. David Finkel embedded with the 216 Infantry Battalion in Iraq during the surge, and he wrote The Good Soldiers, which describes the war from a soldier's perspective. There's good and bad, there are questions still lingering in my mind, and then there's the deep empathy, not just for the soldiers, but even for the good Iraqi citizens trapped in this awful war. And once you've read through that and gotten attached to the soldiers Finkel highlighted, you can read, thank you for your service. Finkel didn't just walk away after 15 months. He followed the soldiers home and tells the stories about what homecoming is like for them and for their families. The sacrifices made are staggering and you will be moved and appreciate what's around you a whole lot more after these books. American wars are not just for humans. Rebecca Frankel wrote War Dogs for those of us who are dog lovers and need to sob for a couple of hours. With some history of the U.S. use of dogs and more in Tales of Canine Heroes, this book is intended to pull your heartstrings. My only critique was there weren't enough stories with happy endings where the dogs came home and lived happily ever after. If you're a true dog person, it has difficult parts wherein the military's policy and the training will disagree with you, so be warned. The dogs are treated like tools, not fellow soldiers, which I wholly disagree with, but I don't make the rules. You will be relieved to hear that the stories of how close the handlers get with the dogs, which does not support that concept, how they protect one another with their lives, how they both come back with PTSD, and how important dogs can be in the war, in our lives, and in our hearts. They are the four-legged patriots and loyal to the end. 
To diverge now, I'd like to point out a few more nonfiction books that touch on a darker element of American history, American crime. Now, there are a ton of mafia slash mobster books that you can grab, but I don't have any in my repertoire because they truly don't appeal. So, on to the criminals. Although serial killers are found all over the world in all cultures, it seems like there's a widely held myth of it being an American phenomenon. Maybe because ours gets so much notoriety, it seems so very ours. Whatever the case, here are some very American serial killers. The Midnight Assassin by Skip Hollinsworth tells a story I think few people will know. In the late 1800s, the first American serial killer began killing women in the city of Austin, Texas. And it was so heinous, so indiscriminate, that I don't know why it's not talked about more. The murders are still unsolved, and there was a really fascinating element that kind of made the killer have to stop. And I won't say what it was, but it was something that I've taken for granted my whole life, and it's a really great talking point. Everyone knows the name Ted Bundy, but have you heard the story from the quintessential queen of true crime books, Anne Rule? Her first book, The Stranger Beside Me, tells about what Anne experienced being a friend of Bundy before, during, and after his killing spree and trial. The book was originally published in 1980, but you're not gonna wanna find a first edition to read because he wasn't even into his trial when she called the book done. So she's had to have multiple reprints with addendums throughout the years to update the reader with what's happened. It's a weird ride on a crazy train that's a peek into Bundy's mind, how he treated people, how he committed his crimes, and it is definitely worth reading. Black Dahlia by James Elroy is a fictionalized telling of the real-life murder mystery of Elizabeth Short in 1947 that rocked California and the rest of the country. While the detectives and the process is Elroy's imagining, it's all pulled from actual case information, so consider it kind of historical fiction. A one-off like the Black Dahlia seems to pale in comparison to the murders committed by H.H. Holmes, one of the most infamous American serial killers and hypothesized to be our most prolific. Eric Larson wrote Devil in the White City in 2003 and exposed the whole world to the details of Holmes' life and crimes, both convictions and possibilities. The Murder Castle in Chicago was the final stop for many people in the hubbub of the World's Fair. And due to the late 1800s being what they were and Chicago being what it was, there's no telling how many people he actually killed. There is a movie or series being made as I speak, and I've read rumors that Hulu and Leonardo DiCaprio are making it. And I've read different stories that speculate on DiCaprio playing Holmes or someone I think would be phenomenal and better for the role, Keanu Reeves. Either way, I'll be watching whenever it's out. If old world crime fighting isn't your cup of tea, grab Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. This case was just recently solved using the most ingenious and yet logical method I've heard of so far, pairing law enforcement with DNA databases created to track genealogy. The Golden State Killer, as McNamara named him, committed so many rapes, then murders, then disappeared, that it just boggled the minds of investigators in California for decades. 
He was particularly horrific in that he psychologically tortured people as well as physically. And after attacks, multiple times he would call the victims and threaten to return, months, sometimes years later. Before the case was solved, McNamara was working on the book with a few of the investigators, and they were so close to figuring it out when she sadly died in 2016. The Golden State Killer was identified as Joseph D'Angelo and charged in 2018, and in 2020 he confessed and apologized at the sentencing hearing. So we know the ending, but you should read McNamara's book of the investigation and see how close she got. Not a serial killer book, but a crime-related book nonetheless. John Krakauer makes my list a second time for the book Missoula. This is a book about the glaringly unjust and poorly handled cases of sexual assault on the campus of one university in Montana, which is not unlike all the others. It doesn't just chronicle the staggering quantity of reported cases, it explains the lack of law enforcing, the PTSD that the victim suffered, the re-traumatizing reality of having to continue to attend classes with offenders who got off scot-free, and then attacked again by the public for outing their attackers. This book preceded the massive Me Too movement of 2017 by just one year, revealing the shocking world women enter into when they're simply trying to get an education, highlighting all the entities set up to protect and defend who fail and continue to fail. It's eye-opening and heartbreaking and a call to action. I couldn't pick up one or two or even five African-American books to highlight, and I've talked about many, many of them before. So I'm going to list for you some of the best, most important, most emotional Black authors who have stories to tell about their American experience. Toni Morrison, particularly the book Beloved, but I could honestly do an entire episode just on her books. Colson Whitehead, particularly Underground Railroad, but please also read the Nickel Boys, and Harlem Shuffle, which we've talked about numerous times. This list wouldn't be complete if we didn't include Maya Angelou, particularly I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Tanaisi Coates' Between the World and Me, which Tana has raved about a few times. Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give series, another we've talked about over and over. Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. And if you have a strong constitution, Solomon Northup's 12 years a slave will school and will break you. Being American is obviously not solely a white experience and it's not even a history of black and white. So here are a few Hispanic authors that have told their stories about what it's like for them, some of which are immigration stories. I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez is a buzzworthy YA novel about a teenage girl named Julia living in Chicago who has some mental health issues, her sister has just died, and she's entirely at odds with her Mexican immigrant parents. She's rude, she's acting out, she's snooping in her sister's stuff, she's defying her parents, she's mean even to her friends, but is it all just a cry for help? Here is a protagonist who is difficult to like, though she may be more relatable to teens. She needs to do some growing up and learn empathy, which is sped up by finding out her perfect sister wasn't so perfect after all, and maybe she needs to adjust how she sees people in order to be better. A highly recommended book by a friend is Ask a Mexican by Gustavo Ariano. 
And while I tried to read it, I was over-triggered and had to stop. The book is based on a column that ran in the OC Weekly for years, where gabachos write in ignorant, offensive, and idiotic questions to a Mexican man so he can explain things to them. My friend who recommended it is Mexican, and she found it hilarious. I was in agony, so you make your own decision. It's also raunchy and crass at times, and it starts off with all the Spanish swear words that you need to know, so you get where the book is coming from. I had to include it because my friend insists that it's funny to have someone so flagrantly out these nutjobs who want Mexicans to stop using old English fonts because it's not culturally appropriate. I just couldn't. In the news today, we're hearing about this abandoned semi in Texas, full of people who died, en masse, coming into America, which makes this next book so important. The Devil's Highway by Luis Alberto Urea exposes the horrors undocumented immigrants face when trying to get into the U.S., the people who exploit them, the elements that kill them, and the punishment waiting for them if they get caught and yet they still come, for reasons you hopefully will never experience. With huge issues like border patrol, human trafficking, the politics in the border states, and climate, this is harrowing and ugly, but it should be known. I recently learned about another event that occurred in the 1960s called Operation Peter Pan. The story is eloquently told by Yvonne Conde, and if you can get your hands on the book, which was published in 2000, it's called Operation Pedro Pan. It isn't just shocking because of what happened, but more because I had no idea that ever did. Where was this in U.S. history classes? Over 14,000 children were taken from their parents in Cuba to the U.S with the unrealistic intention of reuniting them by either returning them after Castro was no longer in power or when their parents came to the U.S. for them. 14,000 kids without their parents. It's not the horror show it could have been and they weren't kept in cages or anything like that, but a six-year-old put on a plane by her parents and sent to another country alone and terrified, surrounded by strangers, is such a sad story. Times 14,000. Before I transition into fiction, there are a few memoir-type books that if you haven't already read, they are recommended reading for different life experiences in different regions of the U.S. We've talked about Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance before, and I'll mention again how much this book hit home with me. All of the Kentucky connections and the Kentucky folks moving to the Midwest, it was like reading the story of my father's life in a lot of ways. It deals with drug addiction, politics, and the importance of having a fierce family there to always back you up. Educated by Tara Westover is another delve into a young person's life in an interesting family in Idaho. Her father is a survivalist and the kids were all homeschooled and kept out of government education, taught what their parents wanted, isolated, and raised to be anti-establishment. However, Tara just wanted to go to college and get an education, but to do this, she would be betraying her family. We have read so many books about women in Africa or parts of Asia or other countries who only dream of getting an education, fight and are attacked and disowned for it. So knowing it happens on U.S. soil is a cultural shock. To round out my triumvirate of John Krakauer books, I have to mention Into the Wild. 
This epic story is about Christopher McCandless's journey from middle-class, dysfunctional suburbia across the country to eventually land in his dream location of Alaska. It's something of an American fantasy with a tragic ending. He met so many interesting people along the way and had so many amazing life experiences only to die cold, hungry, and alone in a bus in the Alaskan wilderness where he seemed to figure out the meaning of life when it was a little too late. Some people have the American dream to find a job and settle down, buy a house, have kids and a dog and a white picket fence, grow old and retire as their life's mission. Some have American dreams a lot more colorful. This is a discussion worthy book because so many elements are touched upon, including mental illness. You might also want to consider the autobiography of Malcolm X, which has been said to be to young black boys what Catcher in the Rye is to young white boys. If you're looking for funny and still poignant and honest, give Bill Bryson's Lost Continent a try. He's an American who buggered off to England for 10 years and then returned, only to go on a search across the country for nostalgia, and he found the real America. It's a little dated from 1990, but it still rings painfully true. If you like his style, you can also read his books I'm a Stranger Here Myself and the much-beloved A Walk in the Woods. Okay, if you're a novel reading fiction nut, it's your turn for some patriotism. Another cross-country adventure and coming-of-age tale of American boys is The Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolls. Imagine Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn meet Holden Caulfield, and they go on a road trip together. It's like that. It's ripe with 1950s Americana, friends and frenemies, revenge, danger, loyalty, fireworks, family reunions, orphanages, and my favorite character, Sally. Tana and I both read and already talked about The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. It's a hard read, though really interesting, about the blue people of Kentucky. And we can't resist a book about librarians, so if you add that Cussie is a pack horse librarian traversing the Appalachians in the 1930s where people were not only poor, but they were flat out dying of hunger and racism is rampant, not just against blacks, but against the blues. It's an eye-opening tale, and though it broke my heart, I will be reading the next book in the series about Cussie's daughter. As long as we're on the struggle bus, I should mention two books that are both incredibly difficult to read and also deeply moving and somewhat unique to their respective regions. The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna is a long book of suffering characters trapped in a bad situation. A father with PTSD from the Vietnam War becomes an abusive overlord to his wife and daughter who he has relocated off the grid in the wilderness of Alaska. It's a love story for the characters and also for Alaska, but mostly it's a survival story for everyone involved. And the key is that all these people are trapped in survival mode, maxed out and desperate. It's sad, it's tender, it's brutal, it's hopeful, and it's tragic. Also, Small Great Things by Jody Pico about a black obstetric nurse in a hospital attending to a baby recently born from two raging, hateful, violent white supremacists. The baby has a health emergency. The parents want Ruth to stay away from them, but she's the only one who can help in the crisis, but the baby dies anyway. 
The book then meanders through the lives of the nurse Ruth and the racist parents, the court case, most importantly, the white privilege that so many of us live with, being utterly oblivious. This book seems to me to be less about Ruth and more about the white readers, white America, and the different life experiences that we take for granted. Read it, digest it, process it, and live your life differently, better. Okay, touchy subjects here, right? I'm about to give you another. This is Where It Ends by Mariki Najkamp. It's a YA book about a very American problem, a school shooting. To say it's disturbing is an understatement. The shooter garners a wee bit of sympathy with his backstory, and he's pushed to the edge that we can clearly see. Regardless, he does reprehensible things that we can't forgive because he's become a monster instead of getting the help he desperately needed. The story will take you through the shooting from many points of view and the students living it from start to finish. There's unexpected heroism, family loyalty, and many surprising reactions that I was sure kids this age were not capable of. But the more shootings I see, and there are plenty of them, the more I realize this particular traumatic event brings out some of the best and worst in people. And this book is no exception. On a much happier note, I got tricked into reading Alex and Eliza by Melissa De La Cruz. Well, the author didn't trick me, others did. I went searching for books to read over the weekend of 4th of July, and this title came up on multiple lists. Without reading the description, I downloaded it and settled in. People, I am not a romance person. But if you are, and you like the puritanical colonial American petticoats and corsets and horses and manners, and especially if you're on this widespread and unending bandwagon of celebrating Alexander Hamilton, read this. It's the first in a series, and it's about how Hamilton met and fell in love with Eliza Schuyler and how she eventually reciprocated. It's a love story with history as a side story. Not since The Color Purple have I read a book about the Black experience of living in America, specifically in the South, leading up to the Civil Rights Movement, that more poignantly poked at my soul than The Help by Katherine Stockett. You might have seen the movie and you might have read the book, and it's not just worthy of both, it's worthy of revisiting both. And it will give you something to ponder when you cut into your pie over the holidays. The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky is a YA book about high school life for an American teenage boy. Charlie is the every boy that a whole generation of readers connected with, celebrated, and often quote, and it's a cult classic. On the opposite end of the young adult American life is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. It's a classic for many girls and women, and it's hard to read it and not pick one of the March sisters you identify with and cheer for throughout. New England during the Civil War is a region and era that I haven't touched on a lot yet, but this is a classic that speaks to many American women about being both American and women. I would be remiss to leave out the next two as they are American classics and represent important changes in our culture. Back to the Salem Witch Trials, The Crucible by Arthur Miller was probably something that they made you read in high school, but revisiting it as an adult is remarkable. 
The same applies to To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which I have to reread every few years, and it takes me right back to the first time I read it, when I was both charmed and aghast, and fell in love with Atticus Finch and began my lifelong unspoken curiosity to check out every single tree hole for gifts from my own boo. There are so many more books I could have mentioned, but I had to stop myself. Maybe next year I'll do this again and bring more to the table. Thank you for listening, and I hope you were inspired by the suggestions, and will pick up one of these books that are gifts to the world, or even if you just feel a little bit more patriotic thinking about them, that's a win for me. Now, here's Nick with a suggestion from libraries. Are you tired of finding out you missed a cool free program at the library? The Round Lake Area Public Library's Facebook page is also a destination platform to view live and recorded library programs for all ages. Mark us as a favorite in your follow settings on Facebook to increase your chance of seeing us in your newsfeed and to make sure you never miss a free library program again. No Facebook account is required to view library live programs. Don't forget to see if your local library has any Facebook programs also. And that brings this episode of Quick Picks to a close. We hope you'll join us next time for more suggestions in different genres and maybe different media. My name is Nikki, and Quick Picks is coming to you from the Round Lake Area Public Library in Round Lake, Illinois. The end.